Hello, this is the postcard for the session The World of Myopia, included in the Whispers Connected to the World meeting. Participants in this session were Audrey Chia from Singapore, Ian Morgan, Australia, Seo Wei Leo from Singapore, Ian Fleetcroft from Ireland, Jeff Wallin from the States, Mark Ballimore, USA, Padmaja Sankaridurg from Australia. In this podcast, you will find information regarding dose and frequency of atropine to reduce the progression of myopia, outdoor and environmental impact on myopia onset and progression, some papers discussing atropine and orthokeratology, and if we compare orthokeratology lenses and multi-zone contact lenses, there is some discussion regarding which is better for the children. We hope you will find this podcast useful. I was thinking of, uh, I've, I've actually got a list down here which uh, I've made since the talk has happened. So maybe we'll start with the with, with uh, Xiaowei and Ian's talks at the, at the first instance. So um, for, for, for in, in terms of dose and what, what dose we should give, how, how do you find the children's react in real, in, in real life to, to the doses there? For example, Ian, you use... Because of side effects. How I because under pressure. What I'm I, I'm using it as a uh, backup um, uh, strategy. So there are contact lens first. So what I do is using the bifocal, not as a myopia control device. Um, and if they tolerate that, listen to a very focal. And again, uh, they seem to tolerate that well. But these, these are people who are progressing very fast despite being in a myopia control uh, glasses or lenses. Right. So uh, for the, like, say, if you combine it with, uh, say, uh, glasses or, you know, like a multifocal contact lens or, or, or glasses, do they have issues if you go up to like more than about over one, over, I mean one percent once a week, uh, because of the aberrations they get and the visual quality drops? Do you have that issue? They seem to be. I mean, I, I mean, have a compliant patient, and I, 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 they've tolerated that well for me. So I have, um, and you know, if if just that one test, the one percent required with the glasses in the clinic, get them to do an ear test after that. Um, as I, you know, the even things like the my size, which is effectively multifocal lens, has multifocality. Um, you know, maybe on the Friday night and Saturday they're using the multifocality as a combinative ad, and as their accommodation recovers during the week, they're effectively on low dose atropine. But at least I know it's atropine as opposed to, you know, water and tropic acid. Uh, shall we? Yeah, uh, for me, uh, in Singapore, as you know, we have all the different options um, depending on the child's uh, sensitivity. Um, the pr- I like to use preservative free. Uh, it comes in little valves, so it's more convenient. And um, 
if they um, are a very outdoorsy type, then we have to remind them for ultraviolet light protection. I usually, um, you know, I start off, uh, depending on, you know, like I use the chart to see whether they're high risk or um, for high myopia. And I tend to be more aggressive and I will start on a slightly higher dose. If not, then I will start with a lower dose at and I'll review them again to look out for side effects. Okay. Uh, um, any of the other panelists, Pat Rajan or anyone who has clinical experience, if this want to pipe in, uh, please feel free. Yeah, uh, especially in combinations of atropine and contact lenses or glasses. Uh, anything to add, Pat Rajan, on your, your side? No, okay. 0.01% as uh, an inadequate therapy based on recent clinical trials. Um, I think. Uh, the data suggests that it's uh, we, we could be doing a lot better for our children, and as uh, uh, yeah, Quick I guess it, it is better. Yeah, I guess there's a difference in age and and in combinations and stuff. Um, Ian, did you sort of like make a little noise? Did you anything to want to say? Well, I was just going to say there is a question that's come through from the audience, and they're asking uh, whether since they say they don't have 0.05%, whether they can actually use five drops of 0.01%. Would there be any objection to that? Uh, well, the eye can hold one and a half drops. So if you put five drops in, three and a half are on the floor. So that's That'll not going to work. Yep. So you're putting it in you know, multiple times during the day. Uh, you know, Mark... As you know, Baldy says that 0.01% ineffective. Um, it certainly is ineffective in certain studies. Now you look at the LAMP study, um, that had an impact, the 0.01% has an impact of you know, zero, pretty much zero diopters on accommodation. It was not, it was biologically ineffective compared to the Atom 2 preparation, which is quite different. Um, so if you do not know, do you not have stability data showing that that's your drop contains an adequate amount of atropine, using it five times more often, you know, it's not much good, which is why I recommend using license preparations infrequently, because the amount of stability data that's required uh, to get a product on the market is really robust, and it has to be done in terms of how it's stored, the chemicals, the, the plastic it's stored in, uh, accelerating aging from temperature, and atropine is very temperature sensitive, um, double the temperature, you know, stability goes down significantly. So um, just multiple dosing of 0.01 does not make sense to me, which is why I do infrequent dosing of, of higher, uh, validly stable preparations. Uh, shall we anything to add quickly? Oh, oh no, it's, um, yeah. Oh, for the first question, yes. Um, yes, I also don't do multiple, um, like you cannot do five doses. You actually have to, to go at higher concentration rather than five times of 0 0.01, yeah. Yeah, I guess when we only had 0 0.01, I was using it twice a day with quite good effects. So uh, that's that's an option if you wanted to, but five times a day might, might be too too inconvenient <laughs> to put in. And I, I guess some, some patients like to put, you know, make sure they get it in, so they put two drops in to make sure it gets in because things like pH, contact, you know, preservative, all these might, you know, that's what Ian said, what, what's, in the, what's in the drop might, might actually affect penetration and absorption. Uh, I think there's another question, right, Ian? Yeah, well, yeah. I think there's another question. Uh, oh, is that a question or is that a comment? I think that's a comment. 
But could I ask, and it's probably mainly for uh, Ian Flitcroft, but others can comment. I've seen one paper from China which recommended one drop of uh, 1% atropine once a month. And at least at the superficial way that I look at these sorts of results, it seemed to be to be remarkably effective. Uh, does anybody want to comment on that? Um, well, we did there are a number of strange features that of that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we, we, we had a paper that says that uh, routinely before we had low dose, I don't know, in our centre we use it once or twice a week. Uh, mm. and, and that was quite effective, yeah. Yeah, that, so that once that. a month paper, Ian, is uh, interesting in so much that uh, even in the, in, in the control patients, their myopia progresses at the same rate throughout the four years of the study, which is not something you would normally see. Yeah. Um, by, by the fourth year, you'd expect progression to be almost down to half the initial rate in the first year. So there's some strange things in that paper. And uh, certainly once a month, I found sort of... Uh, fantastical approach so and what, one of the more concerning things about that paper is also that there's a large unequal loss to follow-up so you lose a lot more people from the treatment group and it could be that the that's related to the progression of the subject so it's something that you know I, I think it shows a little bit of promise but it definitely needs to be replicated okay we should move on yeah. I think, to the next Next topic, actually, because uh, time's moving. Uh, maybe we can have a talk about the outdoors, uh, outdoor and environmental impact. Um, so um, so it, it, your, your conclusion, uh, Jeff, was that it, it sort of like maybe had some incident impact, but not so much in progression. Is, is that correct? Yeah, especially outdoor time. Outdoor time has consistently been shown to be related to the onset of myopia but very inconsistently and, and actually more consistently shown to be not related to the progression of myopia. And when it comes to near work, it's, the results are very inconsistent. A lot, we've done lots of studies and not all of them show a treatment effect. So I would say both of them might have some effect, but it's really gonna be relatively small. And that's why some studies find a, a positive effect and some don't. Even the treatments that we apply related to near work, for example, progressive addition lens spectacles, um, don't seem to be all that effective. So it's in my mind, in my opinion, it's a it's a relatively small effect. Okay, I was going to ask ask Ian about his feedback, but he seems to have dropped out of the of the chat kind of stuff. Because um, obviously we know he he's quite interested in that topic. Perhaps when he comes back in, we will talk about that a little bit. Um, so um, maybe we'll move on to the um, contact lens uh, uh, paper uh, with a mark. Um, so in terms of the OK lenses, is, is, you know, there's so many different designs. Does it matter which design we use? Now, one of the features of the um, ortho K literature is when meta-analyses are done is the effect size is remarkably consistent. So there doesn't seem any um, um, difference across designs that have been studied, at least. Um, when people have systematically varied the optical zone diameter, again, they don't seem to find any dramatic effect on the uh, peripheral refraction. So um, to date, we don't have any uh, differences, and certainly not the same differences we see, see across uh, soft lens design. Uh, so if in, in terms of the um, 
uh, sort of like problems with the contact lens. Uh, and I, I know a long time ago, there were a lot of issues that we had with decentration and uh, pressures and the like, made the, eye, the, the contact lens being very mobile on the eye and, and things like that. Uh, those problems are, are not so much of an issue nowadays. Uh, Pratmajan, you can chime in too. I know you're being involved. Yeah, in Padma or Jeff can speak mm -hmm. to that better than me. Uh, no, we have not seen any issues related to lens fit at all with these lenses. And actually, the lenses uh, that we fit um, children with, they, they're the lenses that were originally designed for adult eyes. And they seem to fit quite okay with, without any issues. So we have not seen any decentration or any sort of fitting issues. Okay. Is there a limit for which you can have astigmatism and stuff with the, the OK lenses or, or degree or how high can you go or how, how high they can write and what astig? Yeah, today there are toric designs in these orthokeratology contact lenses that, you know, you can actually put the toric part almost in the peripheral part of the lens as well as the central part of the lens. So we really have a large range of astigmatism that we can treat even with orthokeratology contact lenses and maintain good centration of the lens. Yeah, because um, from what I understand, the, the, the base curve of the OK lenses need to be a little bit tighter to keep it in position. Is, is, that, is that correct or, or not? No, really it's the peripheral curves that keep it in, in position. Um, it's not the base curve. The base curve is what provides the treatment. Um, and these peripheral curves are, are what keeps it in position. And so the toric peripheral curves are, are allowing us to treat higher amounts of, of astigmatism. And it's really the very peripheral curves where you get tears underneath the lens that allow it, that keep it from adhering to the cornea. So um, it's, a, it's a good treatment option for a lot of people. So let's say if you want the ordinary round the toric, how much can you correct in terms of aesthetic and with the toric, how much can you correct further from that? Uh, it's a good question. I don't know that. I would say up to four diopters um, of uh -huh. corneal tericity on, on occasion, but um, it I, I don't know the specific number and it depends on the design and the, and, and the manufacturer. Okay, all right. Uh, Ian, I wanted to ask you, uh, you, you got dropped out there, but uh, in terms of uh, Jess' lecture, do you have any comment? Well, there's a question here that's relevant. Um, uh, somebody's put in a question, with the pandemic keeping people inside, are we seeing an increase in myopia? I'd add all myopia progression that confirms that there's some environmental effect. I think we have seen some evidence that during the, the um, uh, pandemic that, that we are um, seeing some sort of effect um, that A, could be related to the season, um, seasonal effects of myopia progression, but B, we don't really know if that's related to time spent outdoors or related to near work. Um, it could be both. Um, but the, the effects that we see are seem to be there, but they don't seem to be super you know, clinically relevant. So, you know, I think, again, we have to keep in mind the difference between statistically significant and clinically meaningful results. If you had a choice between OK lenses and multi-zone contact lenses, where do you think it's, which one, which one do you think is, 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 is sort of like, you know, better for, for children and, and things? Is there anything that will influence the way you choose one or the other? 
I'd like to take that one actually. Um, I, I think if you look at the, the, the difference in eye growth between the two, they're actually pretty similar. Although you would get a higher, you would get a higher number with orthokeratology in terms of clinically meaningful, it's about a, a little over a tenth of a millimeter difference in terms of eye growth um, in, to the, in the total treatment effect. And that's just not all that clinically meaningful. So I would say that either one is a good treatment option for children and you should fit the one that fits the child's lifestyle because we know that uh -huh. if the child doesn't wear it, they won't get any myopia control effect. So we've got to get the one that they'll be most likely to wear. Okay, all right. Uh, last few minutes, perhaps uh, we talk about glasses then, the, and the new glasses, which are uh, quite exciting. Again, uh, what is the what is the range uh, and 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 aesthetic that uh, maximum myopia correction and astigmatism you recommend for? That? I know the studies are uh, sort of like mm -hmm. um, quite a little bit more narrower, but is there? Do we have any evidence for high myopes, high astigmas with these glasses? Because um, mm -hmm. do they work? or is it too early to tell? I mean, uh, with the spectacle lenses, you can um, correct them to any amount of astigmatism um, that you want. But uh, the trials and the data that we have so far, you know, we, we can sort of reasonably confidently say that they work uh, fairly well with a low to moderate amount of uh, astigmatism. Uh, whether they're going to have the same efficacy with uh, high amounts of astigmatism, that is uh, that is not clear at this point of time. So, so that needs to be explored. And again, because the trials sort of look at low to moderate amounts of myopia, we sort of um, say that, you know, we can confidently say that they would work for moderate amounts of myopia. Um, if, uh, if the same um, underlying mechanisms uh, operate even for high myopes, then you would expect that there would be some control with uh, high myopes as well. But again, you know, all of that uh, has to be assessed in uh, clinical trials. Okay, all right. Uh, I think we've just got a message that we are over time. So I guess we have to all stop. Uh, thank you very much all for your, your, your time. And uh, yeah, we'll move on to the next session. Okay. These were the highlights from the discussion regarding take-home messages. Atropine 0.01% dose appears to offer an appropriate risk-benefit ratio with no clinically significant visual side effects balanced against a reasonable and clinically significant 50% reduction in myopia progression. Orthokeratology contact lenses also appear to slow axial length elongation, but infective, infective keratitis is a risk. Peripheral defocusing lenses in the form of spectacles or contact lenses may both have a role in slowing the rate of myopic progression in a subset of children and further help our understanding of the physiologic control of ocular growth. Increasing daylight exposure and reducing intense periods of near work may be helpful. We would like to remind you that there is a myopia consensus statement available on our website. And if you'd like to stay updated, please subscribe to our channel. Thank you very much for listening.